Welcome back. It's time for Customers Who Click. Today's guest is Asad Hamir. Uh, he's had a really interesting career to date, initially in optometry, uh, and then deciding actually tech was the place for him. So today we're going to be discussing his business, Nolly, and how they managed uh, to grow through content and their email list. And they've placed a really high importance on good quality content, whether it's little cheat sheets of, of gestures or short codes for, for browsers, or the best tech accessories for traveling for work. So let's get Asad on now to explain it all. Hi, Asad. Thanks for joining me today. Do you want to just quickly introduce yourself? Tell us a bit about you, your background and how you've got to where you are now. Yeah, sure. Uh, pleasure to be on uh, the podcast today. So yeah, I'm Asad Hamir. I'm the founder of Nolly. I've been in the telecoms and tech industry for 12 years, but in a previous life, I was an optometrist by trade. So I did optometry okay. university. My funny kind of fact, my family has over 45 and I think I was number 37. But at university, I really got, in, got into tech. So I used to buy and sell phones at uni, actually. And then in my third year uni, I saw the iPhone launch. Steve Jobs got up on stage and says, here's iPhone. And I finished my degree, finished my qualifications as an optometrist, tested for a year, and then I started a telecoms reseller business in 2008, nine. And then since then, I've been basically in that kind of arena, growing a portfolio, essentially, both in the telecom space, but then also the accessories that kind of sit alongside mobile phones and other tech and so some of it we actually do ourselves and then some of it we invest in found who run their own companies and we support them along that journey and stuff like a mix of a own portfolio and a vc portfolio yeah yeah like a bit like i suppose not quite an incubator it is more like a vc yeah fun but you just invest in them right you don't you're not pur- purchasing them acquiring them so not like no. an aggregator no, so we, we invest in them and then we support them. So we, we normally like to find people in our industry, in mobile tech, invest in them early and then go on the ride, basically, almost like a business yeah. partner. Yeah, and because we have experience across e-commerce, retail, and I, li- I like to think I'm still a millennial, which I am. Which I am so, so I still think I've got that kind of finger on the pulse. Yeah, cool. Brilliant. So we'll just, uh, just quickly explain what Nolly does. Yeah, sure. So Nolly actually is a brand which is born out of a passion and a frustration, just lots of tech stresses over the years and actually selling like Belkin and all the other brands and not just seeing my own tech stresses. I'm always the guy that runs out of power. <laughs> so, yeah. um, But then seeing what other people had tech stresses for. And I just felt that the current incumbents in the market weren't catering for those tech problems and just doing more milliamps or faster charging without actually thinking about the real problems people had with, with their tech. So Nolly essentially aims to set out to eliminate or reduce those tech stresses. So we have we have our take on it. It's a modular suite of uh, accessory products, which we've uh, been developing over the last two, three years. We launched them into the market in October. So everything from kind of phone cases to chargers, and uh, we've got a whole other ecosystem of stuff that's coming in the next year. And then we also have our content platform where we share a lot of stuff when it comes to tech stresses. And we've got a blog, which we've got underway over the last kind of two, three months. So, yeah. Yeah, cool. Awesome. Sounds good. Uh, so what's what would you say has been the biggest contribut- contributor to growth for, for you? Launching a new brand. So it's hard, but yeah. it's even harder in the pandemic. We've been bootstrapped, no external funding or, or anything. It's just our own money. And so I think the biggest challenge is you, when, when you're in that position where it's your own money, you, you need to make money, but then you also need to acquire customers. And, and as a new brand, no one really knows you. So what we did prior to launch is 
or over the last 18 months in the development, we did we did a couple of London design festivals. So in the design industry, there's like an exhibition and we did a couple of those. So we got to know a lot of people before we launched and mm-hmm. uh, we had about a couple of thousand email addresses and two, three thousand. And then we had about 10,000 across social media. That kind of helped the business get off to some sort of start. But I think the biggest challenge definitely is like getting through that first 500,000 customers, even if it is like Facebook <laughs> lookalike audiences or whatever it is from that point of view. It's not just um, it's not just you knowing whether products are going to sell and stuff. It's also just getting the algorithms to optimize and, and all that stuff. So that was definitely the hardest thing, the first thousand. Yeah, I can imagine. I've been there as well. And it, it, yeah, it was slow growth with the, the business I had for a bit until we launched this basically uh, yeah. bit of a referral program that linked into the, the actual usage of the product really well. Because uh, it was basically, so it was fantasy sports. Okay. So we allowed people to invite their friends, uh, which so they'd get the referral bonus, but also yeah. we set up these private leagues so you could actually just play with your friends, which kind of gave that almost not added right. incentive to do it, but a more natural. It's not just sending your link out to friends and going, oh, by the way, sign up to mm. this website and you'll get some money or whatever. It's come join me, play, let's play. all compete together on this. So that worked really well. So yeah, tell me a bit more about the blog that you guys have launched and and, and that side of things because I, I think yeah. when we spoke before you said that was uh, quite key. Uh, yeah, definitely. And where it came from was my own, again, coming back to the tech stresses side of things. I'm always someone, like as with a lot of people, always looking for little tips and tricks and little hacks to like optimize. And we're all working on our tech all day. Like, how do we get that extra five minutes, extra 10 minutes here? And it was just pulling out. Like, I've forgotten. I remember one day I was like looking at MacBook gestures and having to refresh my memory around like all the different swipes and things. And uh, I just felt that a lot of people needed that little bit of refresh and almost wanted to go back to that kind of stuff. Or, or even it's new things because we're in this whole new world with COVID it's almost like we need to learn how to work best and there's all kinds of whether it's sort of leadership or new products on the market and things like that so our, our view is let's just start talking about this stuff and we started the blog nine weeks ago 10, oh, okay. 10 weeks ago 10, oh okay 10 so not, yeah not long ago at all no, not long ago uh, and the first couple we saw open rate went from we were averaging like 30 30 percent roughly on open rate and we saw open rate drop on the first couple I was like, oh my god what's going gonna happen here and and then i said like to the team look just hold it hold your nerve because we're actually doing something here which um i think will work and we've steadily seen that open rate and we're now hitting 40 percent yeah on good 10,000 plus audience isn't isn't bad and we're now starting to see that also translate into sales as well and we're not at all trying to sell on there it's very much starting or creating a narrative and what's good now is we we know that works on the blog. So now let's translate that into social. And so now mm-hmm. we're, the next step is translating that into social media and, and that side of thing. And then just keeping the blog up. And the good thing is once you start something like that, the ideas flow from within the team. And so now we've just yeah. got like pages and pages of blog ideas. I, so. I can imagine you get one article that everyone's like, okay, this is a great article idea. And then yeah. from that, but we could write about this and this and that we can either have one massive like ultimate guide sort of article or we can break this down into loads of things yeah and then uh, i haven't had a look at the blog but i imagine a lot of the content is uh, here are five ways you can speed up doing this uh, on your laptop or something like that which then is really easy to translate to social because that that just becomes five images for instagram which you just post up and, and allow people to swipe through yeah, or even it's his 
five places to go and work in london this week and yeah. and so let's just get out right now right Hon- so honestly f- five places with charges and wi-fi yeah <laughs> if, if that was the title of the post there we go it, it, it would gonna... do fantastically <laughs> that's one definitely no so it's going really well it's going really well and what what's great as well is we have our store as well which we opened about three months ago so we opened a store in shoreditch in Bok. And what we're trying to do is create the connection points between all the different touch points now as well. So we did a blog about lunchboxes, the best lunchboxes going back to work and stuff like that. And so we were selling one of the lunchboxes as well in our store. And we were able to negotiate a discount off one of the retailers that we're working with. And yeah, so it's nice. And people then, you can start to map those journeys, see how people are going from a blog to in-store. And it's nice to hear from the store team that they're hearing more and more people coming in saying, oh, I saw you online and things like that. So no, it's great. So it's really nice to see it's, it's working, but it's early days. So yeah, in terms of like SEO, is it, is it, are you starting to see the benefits for SEO? What do you think it's, is it still a bit early for that? Definitely. Our organic traffic is a, as a percentage is what we're always tracking, to be honest. And we're starting, we're, we're pushing paid, but we're definitely seeing a big growth in organic, like from people coming back to directly to the website as well getting that repeat repeat customer back on seo wise from a tech point of view it's probably an area which we're going to start targeting a bit more we've been trying to really focus on what what do people want to hear about right now rather than going for like certain keywords but at the same time we've been if we are optimizing or looking at a a blog we are thinking about what are those keywords to make sure that we're included in so i definitely say that's now what we're what we need to focus on next yeah i think i've seen loads of kind of checklist articles about seo 10 10 things you have to do with every article and it'll yeah. be write a compelling header yeah okay great but there might also be things like it's simple things like make sure every picture has alt text alt or, tags, or caption yeah. make sure you've got not necessarily a certain size i was talking to someone about this the other day whether the length of the article is an indicator of has an impact on seo okay or whether it's just that the better written articles tend to be longer anyway yeah yeah i've had that as well before because in the portfolio we have we have another brand called Shield, and and that one we've written some quite long form articles and i think what my kind of experience of it is definitely what you said around better written rather than focusing on number of words it's got to be on the content right because ultimately that's what someone's gonna read yeah. whether they're going to exit early or not or you need to get them right down to the bottom right <laughs> but, but then it, it with things like top five places in london to to work yeah. that have wi-fi and charges that's going to be a pretty short article unless you did a basically a review of it a proper review of each location yeah. it's, it's a pretty quick uh, short yeah. article which could yeah. be really valuable for people yeah. i would love that yeah but I don't know if Google looks at that and thinks that's a really short article. It's got you know a couple of hundred words and it's a bunch of images. Yeah. So don't promote that. And I and I don't know what metrics would indicate to Google that actually this is good. The Striking the balance, also, it? Yeah, but I think also the algorithms are going in the direction of if I type into Google uh, best places to work in London with mm. Wi-Fi. Yeah. And they see that your article answers that question. I would have thought it wouldn't matter how long it was, as long as it's uh, as long as it obviously got that content yeah. and, it, and is answering that question. Yeah. Um, fortunately, it's a really quick article to do. If it doesn't yeah. work, 
So what sort of challenges are you facing? One of the biggest challenges, we went for a tech stack, which is a bit more bespoke, and we built it on a headless platform. So we got Shopify as a kind of commerce element. And then we've got a, it's called the Dato CMS. So it's, yeah, it's a CMS platform and linking the two, maintaining it. And then just even small things like pixel problems and this Facebook changes things. And it's for a small business, for a startup, uh, it's an expense that you're constantly need to invest in. So that's one of our biggest challenges at the moment is also like iterating, improving it everything's bespoke you have to start again so a big learning for me has been just start on shopify <laughs> I, was, I was gonna ask what led you down that route of this kind of more custom bespoke website the idea was we we're a design brand so we're a design-led brand and we wanted the user experiences to be that little bit richer and yeah didn't feel like at the time shopify would deliver it but the problem is when you go down that kind of route of going more bespoke we didn't then fully bottom out the costs after so the kind of maintenance and then like having to add new things in everything just and i guess it would be the same with shopify right if you had to modify themes and iterate the themes and things like that there's costs but it's even more so i think bespoke and so big learning for me is if i was ever to do this again just to start start on shopify build out from there or any of those kinds of platforms that's my biggest challenge right now yeah yeah i know i, I know another company kind of similar position they're a startup still quite young yeah uh, move from shopify I think, it, I don't know if it was a free theme or just a paid kind of off the shelf theme, use that for a while. And then they've switched to, to a headless website and yeah. the website looks fantastic. It looks so much better. There's so much more flexibility around the, the user journey that we can send people on. However, mm. it's no longer a case of going into an app and making a little configuration. It's now a yeah. case of raising a ticket with the developers hiring developers in the first place, raising a ticket with developers and having to go through that development process, which yeah. you know it is is slowing things down. And if you've got Black Friday, Cyber Monday coming up when we're recording this, um that's uh gonna be a concern, isn't it? Yeah, definitely. Even to the point around the Facebook iOS changes and how much like Shopify has built in server side to try and provide that authentication between uh, Shopify and Facebook so that you could try and get as much data. We had an issue, for example, with add to cart where server side, we weren't, it wasn't sending enough information and we had to build something server side on our side to connect up to Facebook. And so just as an example, that kind of thing, you get it out of the box for Shopify, right? Like you literally just install the app and it just works. Yeah, it's just huge benefits. But then again, with Bespoke, you obviously have a lot more freedom with what you can do design. And if you've got the scale in terms of transactions, then maybe it's worth it. But yeah, it is what it is. Yeah, Yeah, and I suppose, obviously, you don't want to throw money away. But if you've got the business to back this new brand. So I know you said it's it's bootstrapped, but it's bootstrapped, I'm assuming, by your group of businesses. Yeah, it is. So you can back it. You can maybe put that investment in. Yeah. Knowing that money's covered until that business starts, becomes profitable and, and, and grows a lot. Yeah. Compare that to a business which might have very limited funding in the first place. Yeah. You know, making that decision, you know, going headless would be quite, quite a brave decision, I think, yeah. for a startup. But even, yeah. even switching over too early, might you've really got a plan for that i think this other company's been what are we pretty much 11 months in to this mm. and 
and it took about nine to launch it. Yeah. Uh, and and the next two has just been development, uh, yeah. trying to trying to bring this site up to scratch. But like I said, it is a much better looking website and it performs well. It's just, uh, it's taken up more resource than, than I think they'd initially expected, expected. it to. Yeah. yeah. I think another thing maybe is uh, just attribution. I'm a big data guy. And uh, even though, yeah, I, I come from a science background, but I'm very much into my data. And it actually comes from my telecoms background. Because telecoms is lots and lots of data. And uh, so I'm actually quite enjoying now, even though it's a ball ache to attribute between Facebook and analytics and building out on my dashboards and really seeing whether that pound we're spending in Facebook is delivering a return. It's it's challenging, but at the same time, it's good because you're getting into the detail of, and I actually personally like it, that I have a bit more kind of control now of what I'm doing rather than just letting the algorithm get on with it. It was e- probably a lot easier, <laughs> but, but I'm actually yeah, enjoying that side of things now. You can see that becoming as our spend scales. I think it's going to become more and more challenging. I'm sure that's probably something you're hearing quite a lot in your podcast. Yeah, I think so. As you scale up, as you probably open up more uh, campaigns aired, aimed at different areas of the funnel, uh, more yeah. channels, it's trying to work out, did Facebook actually generate that sale? Yeah. Or did they see the advert on Facebook, scroll past yeah. it, but because they converted within X amount of time, yeah. I, I, I believe Facebook claims almost makes a claim on that purchase just like google does as well yeah. for certain things yeah um, but you're then you're left thinking yeah if you didn't analyze it too much you'd be left seeing 100 transactions by facebook 100 transactions through google and only maybe 150 120 actual sales on the store yeah i mean the way i look at it look at it as i look at my percentage of marketing as well as going into the detail look at my percentage of uh, revenue to marketing and that's the way I track it. So I have my budget week to week. And that's a key number in my PL that I'm tracking every single week. Because sometimes, like you said, you can get a bit bogged down and the platforms or the algorithms will try and claim this, that, or the other. It's good to look at that stuff because that gives you the overall trends. But as long as your percentage is tracking in the right direction, then at least you're profitable on your campaigns. And that's, yeah. So, so as well as looking at the individual kind of detail, I think it's important to look at the overall numbers as well. Yeah, so you're looking at the, the blended, kind of blended yeah. CPAs and all that and just seeing, so we're spending X amount on marketing, we're getting X amount of revenue, we're yeah. happy with that ratio. Yeah, um, exactly. And then I suppose if you see a, a big change one way, yeah. then you start investigating to see you know, what's actually caused that. Is, is something really underperforming? Is something, has something gone wildly? Which is obviously always a good thing, but again, you want to track that, you want to find out. Yeah. Another thing just to talk about is the store. So the store is actually done wonders for us in terms of just immediately when we opened it, we just saw an increase in conversion and we're seeing more and more people come in back from the store. So what we did was we created like a leaflet, which had a QR code with a link tree address okay. and we're tracking email subscribers and things like that from there. And we see more and more people coming back from the store to then transact online. So retail still has a massive part to play obviously in that online conversion funnel and having our own store we have a bit more the ability to be able to track that journey yeah. uh, all the way through we're now starting to work with other retailers where there it's a lot more difficult and it's more of a kind of transaction where we're just selling to them wholesale mm-hmm. but that having that pop-up element that we have at the moment is really helping with our online elements and it comes back to that point around just multiple touch points right like you were saying, someone could be scrolling past something in Facebook and it's likewise in the store, someone's coming in and we're saying to the guys in store, 
don't just focus on trying to convert that person, give them a great experience, make sure they're happy walking away and they could buy online at some point because we're impulse price points. We're products which everyone, every person needs day to day. So eventually they, my mind says, we'll convert them, right? As long as we keep them happy and get them engaged with the brand. Yeah, I suppose it's probably one of those products a lot of people look at and they see it initially and go, oh, I want that. That yeah. looks really cool. Yeah. And then they they sit on it for a little bit and maybe yeah. that temptation goes away. Yeah. But if you've had a really good experience with that brand, and I think for something like that as well, if, if you see an actual, that brand has a store, that's a load of credibility as well, which makes you think, actually, maybe I should be buying this. Yeah. Because there's a, there's a, a big brand behind it. Really, I think if you've got a yeah. store, it almost automatically gives you that that little level up. Definitely, man. Let's if it's okay, I can touch on. We should touch on one of the other brands in the portfolio, Archishield. Just one thing I wanted to mention, actually, just before we move on to that, that in-store experience. So, just earlier today, I was doing an interview with a customer for a new yeah. client of mine, and he talked about how he'd been into three stores. So, two, I think, two competitors' stores and my client's store. And he just said there was something about it that really made him feel that in those other stores, they wanted him through the door and then back out the door with that product as pretty much as quickly yeah. as and conveniently as possible for them. Yeah. Whereas with my client, he felt there was much more, we're just giving you the information you need to make the decision. Yeah. We're not pushing you in either in any direction. We're answering your questions. We're giving you the information you need to make the decision. And yeah. he said it was just so much better. And he left that store with such a better feeling towards that brand. And yeah. that was a really key contributor to him making the purchase from them, despite having never heard of them before and having come across the other two first. So I think yeah. that experience in that, just answering people's questions and helping them and not being too salesy is 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 something that what more, more stores should do, really. Just being yeah. helpful. Definitely. And just delaying them. So something we're just putting in now, the, the strap plan of the store is called Tech It Easy. So as in, yeah. uh, take, take it easy with your, with your tech. And so the products we curate are all around that particular strap line. So like I said, we've got on the one side, we've got our Nolly, Nolly products. On the other side, we have brands essentially that are have a similar mindset to Nolly that are doing things maybe slightly differently to Nolly. So for example, we have a tea brand, which basically uh, has these detox teas, which are uh, great for especially long days on Zoom and you know in tech and you've got you're feeling a bit frazzled or whatever. And so whenever uh, anyone walks in now, we give them uh, a little shot of that tea just so that it starts the conversation and it gets them thinking about it. And just so again, it's about that delight, like getting people delighted, breaking the ice. Physical is such an advantage, right? Like over yeah. retail, and it's about using those advantages. But then, like you said, it's not about trying to just get that sale. Ultimately, yeah, you just just want to keep on increasing those touch points. Yeah, but it's 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 similar to online, really, isn't it? Online or offline, so yeah. many people go in go onto a website or go into a store, and they're not necessarily ready to buy. Yeah, just they might just be on their lunch break or something. They've clicked, they've seen an advert, yeah. and they've gone, yeah, okay, I'll have a quick. Some people will buy if it's a low enough value purchase, they might just make the purchase anyway. Uh, mm. otherwise you've got to work on that how do we give what you what you need to make yeah. sure when you're ready to buy you come back and then also what i'm seeing with that is the brands that do that and get that right are much more likely to get that second purchase mm. as well which from what i've seen and i think a lot of people see is that's the difficult one after the first purchase as well obviously but the yeah. second purchase is difficult but if you get the second purchase 
I've seen retention rates much, much better. Yeah. 70, 70 plus from second to third, and then 80-ish from third to fourth to fifth, et cetera. But oh, normally wow. about 25, 30 from first to second. Mm. But those no, brands yeah. that really nail that first purchase, I see higher rates, kind of 40, 50, even yeah. higher if, if you're really working on that experience properly. Mm. No, definitely. I think, and credibility, you were touching on credibility. I think it's another way to get the credibility. It's becoming so much easier now, or it, it is so much easier to just stick the as seen in Forbes, Telegraph, GQ, blah, blah, blah. So you're almost immune to or like using customer reviews or uh, whatever it is. So it's like, how else do you start to get that credibility? So something that we're now starting to focus more on is, and you don't see it so much with tech, but in the sunglass industry, the eyewear industry, you see it a lot more where people use high-end influence, almost like selfies with their sunglasses. And they use that to promote. So we're going to be, we started to do it a little bit, but we're going to be using that strategy with our tech because our stuff is quite lifestyle and quite colorful we hope that will work probably tell you maybe on another podcast or something yeah um, but, yeah uh, was it there's a jewelry brand called i think it's monica vinida okay I think that's the one they have a i'm pretty sure they have a whole section on their website dedicated to that yeah. just showing off the different celebrities and well, I suppose yeah. it was celebrities influencers but all these like top level people who have been yeah. seen wearing their stuff and, yeah. and I think what they also do is they tag it as well. So yeah. you'll see this massive gallery. You can click into one and then it, you can actually click on the little info thing to find out what the necklace is, what the earrings are, that sort of yeah. thing, which works pretty well. But I think that's a really good way of doing it. It's actually got a nice integration for that kind of thing. So you can, I think they've got their vision, it's called the visual content. I can't remember the actual thing, but yeah, they've got a nice little thing which plugs into Shopify where you can literally pull in the Instagram post and then, uh, link through to the, the product page. So if you, yeah. if you do have Shopify, yeah, check it out. Yeah, that's pretty cool. One thing I was going to mention about the that as seen in stuff where, mm. yeah, yeah, it's so common, especially in kind of the, the startup world, right? It's so common to have just as seen in and a few logos, no links or yeah. anything. Yeah. Literally just that. And, it, and yeah, you're right, it's meaningless. I have seen some brands who, they will take screenshots or share pictures. So if they have been in the newspaper, yeah. they will they will just upload an actual image of that newspaper article to that yeah. kind of as seen in section. Yeah. And so it adds so much more weight to it because you can actually see the article there and go, okay, they, they were actually they were in there. this newspaper. Yeah. And a lot of the time, depending on, yeah, a lot of the time you can tell whether it's an advert or not. Mm. In, in fact, because I've tried this, a lot of newspapers and magazines I've found won't let you do an, an advert that looks like an article e even with a little this is an advert or an advertorial or whatever they're quite against you creating an advert that is not supposed to look like an advert basically because it's it's it is designed to trick the customer into yeah. into reading an article which if, if it's a valuable article that should be fine yeah. but i think they must have had some <laughs> must have been some complaints or they've just decided that's a no yeah um, that's no, true cool. yeah so with, with the tea brands just mm. touching on that with, with challenges and things are there any particular challenges you're facing there as well or any that are different to the uh to nolly oh you mean the brand is uh, the other brand in the portfolio is a brand called oki it's a blue light screen protection brand 
And yeah, just touching on something which I think is relevant for credibility. We actually went on to Dragon's Den with it. When was it? It feels like ages ago now. About 18 months. Yeah, so it aired in July. So it took 12 months to air. <laughs> so, oh, wow. Um, okay. We did it. Is that because yeah. of COVID or? Yeah. So yeah. they got delayed slightly. But credibility for that, we saw an immediate uplift, as you would expect. So we got investment and we saw an immediate uplift. But what's been interesting is just the awareness um, and how it's stuck as well. Immediately, we've seen an uplift in it. It went up and dropped down a little bit, but it, the position or the rate of sale that we've seen with that brand is higher, much higher, I'd say to the level of 40, 50% compared to where we were before. Something like that. Dragon's Den is such a unique prop because have a million, million people see it. But also yeah. then they share it again on YouTube and that side of things. And it's got that credibility. So we've cut up the content into micro stuff and then we share that across Facebook and, and Instagram and stuff. So that also, I think it's using whatever tools that are out there. If you have your own startup, what things can you do? Where else, how else can you be relevant and, and gain credibility and something like that? We, we have, you have to be ready for it because it can kill your brand as well if you don't get the money. Um, yeah, but if you, uh, if you don't get the money, or if uh, if you're not ready for the scale, yeah, if, if you should be expecting that bump in traffic. Yeah. So, firstly, you need to make sure the website can handle that bump in traffic, but also yeah. that potential bump in sales, and making yeah. sure that you don't you know run out of stock halfway through the airing of the the show. But I think that there are loads of stories of brands who have done really well without getting mm-hmm. investment. Yeah, on there, and yeah, yeah I, some of them obviously have do have genuinely good products and good brands and they go off and just build a really good business. But others will just get that spike through being on TV, being on the BBC, being on Dragon's Den. Yeah. Um, But I think also some of the deals fall through because of, uh, I think, issues that aren't really related to the business itself. It's Mm. just something that the Dragons, that there's some little complication that means the Dragons don't want to get involved. But actually, yeah. there's still a good business there. So, yeah. So, I think the stat is 90% of the deals that uh, get accepted don't go through. Yeah. There's one. I don't, know, I don't know how much truth there is to it. But yeah. I, I think I, I've heard there are a lot. I, I didn't realize it was as high as 90, but I've definitely heard it's a lot. There's one that I remember from one of the very first seasons. It was a, I think it was an umbrella vending machine for the for TFL. Okay. For, so, for the underground stations. And yeah. the idea was to sell advertising on it. That's how it was going to be monet- like yeah, properly yeah. monetized. Yeah. And they didn't, they, they, so they got the investment, but I think it fell through mm. because he couldn't get the, couldn't get TFL permit for it. Or mm. th- there was one of those sort of issues popped up that meant either he couldn't do the business at all, mm. or he wasn't allowed to advertise or something like that. And it just made the deal so much less appealing. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah, it's <laughs> yeah, it's it's great. It, it's it's ten minutes. Obviously, is what they show, but you're in there for two hours. But boy, it, it goes fast. <laughs> so two hours in front of the dragons. Yeah, yeah, that's a long time. I mean, yeah. <laughs> it seems like you get grilled enough just in those ten minutes. So, can't, yeah. I can't imagine what two hours is. Yeah, but co- coming back to the some of the challenges, being um, I guess brand owner, one of the cha- big challenges I have now is with some of the brands that are scaling is what point do I start to bring digital in-house versus working with agencies? And also when I'm approaching agencies out there, of course, I can get recommendations and things like that. But it's so difficult to to determine who's good and who's not. And then 
likewise from like the team that's going to work on it who are they and backgrounds because ultimately you're buying the skill of that team as you find you'll get the partner but they're only there for a few hours and stuff like that so i think a big big problem that i see now is the strategy and the scaling of digital marketing generally and how to actually approach that do we take it in-house not yeah it's that that's something especially for nolly for example for next year i'm think, just thinking how do we do it because we've outgrown i guess where we've started now we're thinking like how do we take it to that next phase and it's not just what we're doing now it's like how do we do tiktok how do we do other platforms so that that's one of the worst one of the things in on my mind at the moment but yeah good, good to get your thoughts really what you've seen and other people that have been on the pod and stuff yeah, it's, it all depends on the brand and, the, and where you are, doesn't it? And and what your overall setup, because yours is a little bit different because you've got that group, that portfolio um, mm. as well. So that changes how you do things. I've the best success early stages, not early, but within the first couple of years of a business have been with freelancers. Yeah. So not agencies, not in-house because that's that was too much of a commitment, but finding freelancers who they are the experts. You're going to work with them. Been burnt by agencies before. That you get sold by the director, yeah, of, of PPC or whatever. About throw it to level person, but then the person you're actually working with has only got maybe 18 months experience, and not, yeah. they're, they're not really a marketer. They are a platform person, right? They know mm-hmm. how to build a campaign in, in in Google Ads. Maybe I'm being a little bit harsh, but <laughs> this is the experience I've had. But yeah, you want to know that this person really got the experience. And has, has been there, done it, uh, and, and is the right solution to to grow the business. And you know, I guess one potential way to to make it a bit safer is to just to make sure you don't get locked into a long contract. Yeah, and uh, and I think agencies who are willing to back themselves should happily get into just a monthly rolling contract or, or a short notice period or something. But a twelve month contract, if it goes wrong, especially for a startup, it can be pretty devastating. Yeah. No, exactly right. It can be make or break. Yeah. Putting putting your business in other people's hands. Good thing is we're quite on the ball, so keep a close eye on it. But you're right; like it's so difficult. And I guess the other thing is attribution, like where sales are coming from, and also as you start to scale your brand, you're looking at different channels, Amazon, retail. Yeah, that's where you almost need to like you can't you can't just look at your marketing costs for online. You need to look at what is contributing to other things. And, and then it, it's difficult because you're trying to grow, especially in a product-based business, you're trying to grow revenue and distribution. And But what you don't want to do is kind of give too much to one channel because then they can almost use that against you. Start advertising on Google or things like that. So that, that then becomes a, another challenge as well. But it, it's things like that you can control, how much stock you give them or things like that as well. But yeah, those the... But these are nice problems to have. These are as your brand as your brand is growing. It's always a good thing. Yeah, it's good to be in a position where you're now needing to worry about these things, yeah. as opposed to maybe earlier stage where you're not even touching that at the moment because you you haven't even made it you know to the first step yet. So yeah, yeah it's good that you it's good that you've got these concerns and good that you're thinking about them as well. I think a lot there are some people who would just dive into it. Right, just mm. the kind of that retail opportunity to get a, a big distributor on, and you yeah. just think, "Yep, sweet, let's go for it. Let's chuck everything at it." But yeah, you got to got to consider the the downsides to that. Yeah, definitely, definitely. Yeah. My view is now try and invest as much as you can direct, build your relationships direct, and retail is great as well. You just got to you got to treat it differently, have its own cost base, keep it under control, have it as part of your strategy. 
but you know where you're going to make your money and your long-term value in your business is going to come from a direct channel if you've got a loyal repeat purchase transacting community that's valuable as business so that's why we're trying to invest in that area yeah yeah great cool just before we finish unless there's anything you wanted to else you wanted to add about your brands no no cool so yeah is there anyone in the, the kind of d2c marketing space that you'd want to go for lunch with so yeah there's one particular wine wine cafe stroke restaurant stroke bar that's opened up in lockdown it's called shop c-u-v-e-e uh they're based in hackney and shortage and they're just epic on social and they've built their brand through social it is very hipster but it's just the way that they engage people through social is just amazing and i'd love to yeah i'd love to sit down with the founders on that because i just think they're just so on it they really have tapped into um the psychopath of gen z especially i think and they've just made what they've they're essentially a wine shop and they started doing subscription boxes after the lockdown and then now they've become now they've become a restaurant and they've just opened their second or third site within the space of like 12 18 months it's just like phenomenal and they've done a collaboration yeah they've done a collaboration with a fashion brand called it's just like their growth is and the way they're engaging people is just phenomenal because i think as much as you want to sell stuff you need to engage but you've got to keep people continuously engaged so yeah that would be my choice Awesome. I'll definitely have to check them out. And so just finally, are there any marketing tools that you'd really recommend that have been crucial to your growth? The one I'd say, which we're now using across everything from an email point of view is Clavio. Just the way in which we can create all our workflows. Yeah, just all the data. You have a lot more control of what you can do and all the integrations and everything. So I'd say that that is my, it's probably one you've heard of quite a bit. But yeah. I think an email and building community for us is everything right now. My key KPIs are like email list, subscriber list, unsubscribes, open rate. So we're really focusing on driving that email community up. Yeah. yeah. Love you. Awesome. Cool. Well, thanks. This has been really interesting. Loved it. If anyone Pleasure. wants to get in touch and you know find out more or have a chat, what's, what's the best way of doing that? Yeah. The brands, firstly, so at Nolly on Instagram. Uh, myself, I'm As- at Asad Hamir on Instagram, uh, also on LinkedIn. Just reach out, DM. Yeah, I'd love to, love to hear from you. Any, anything that I've talked about, if you've got any points of view or anything, just get in touch. Love, love to have a chat. Awesome. Thank you so much, Asad. Thank you. As Asad mentioned, uh, the great thing about focusing on content is that uh, it itself generates so many more ideas. You'll brainstorm some blog posts, get one written, turn into social posts, a YouTube video, checklist, uh, even a podcast. And from the actual content of that post, you'll find other ideas start popping up that support or complement that original post. If you're producing proper, high-quality content, you keep your audience engaged, which is great for generating business and, and word of mouth, and you'll also start to see the SO benefits as well. If you'd like to chat with Asad and find out more, reach out to him on LinkedIn. Any other podcast questions, feedback, guest requests, please send them over to will at customerswhoclick.com. Next up, I've got Jeremy Horowitz joining me. We're going to be talking about SMS and instant messaging and how it's going to be one of the most powerful tools in your marketing toolkit in 2022. But until then, keep those customers clicking.